Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for letting us into your ears while you jog, drive. This is Melissa with the Old Time Crime Gals here with Shannon. Hello. And, um, I was just thinking if you're actually jogging, I'm glad that I'm not. So enjoy. <laughs> but welcome. We are um, having some nice weather in our area. And Melissa wanted to do the podcast outside. So if we saw a jogger, we could say, hey, how are you? And the wind might have ruined that one, though. So. That's true. You have to stay inside. Um, but today we're visiting a state that I would love to go to. Um, it's has long days sometimes and beautiful, beautiful scenery. Animals are gorgeous. So Northern Lights. Northern Lights. Yep. We're talking about Alaska. And I've always wanted to go there. And you said you have a it's friend a from there. I have a friend from there. She actually got married up there and then came down here. And she's just, it's beautiful. The picture she had posted, it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think one day that's on one of the lists that I have. I have several of lists that I want to accomplish. So we'll see if I get maybe we the, all. yeah, we all have several lists. And if we get to one of the lists and that might be an achievement, that's, mm -hmm. that's really cool. Anyway, so today we're going to be talking about um, a man by the name of Robert Hansen. He's a timid man with slight stutter and small frame. He has glasses and kind of comes off as a shy man. He lives in a suburban neighborhood with his wife and two children. He is an active and pretty much respected member of the community, and he runs a local bakery, um, which is something that he started after following in his father's footsteps. He, his father used to, you know, bake, and so he has a hobby. He was a Danish immigrant. That's that, right. That baked, and so he, that's why and, he was and forced his son to to learn his trade. Okay, so he um, he has a hobby of gun collecting and hunts big game throughout Alaska's rugged terrain. He often flies a small plane where he has a small cabin cabin in the woods near the is that the Nick River? Nick River. Yeah. And that this is where he um, he just likes to I guess go out on his own. And would you say that this is a person that if people walk into the bakery, they're going to sit there and say, oh, he's a really cool guy and send your kids down there to buy bread, do you think? They're, um, he's kind of unassuming and he does have a slight stutter, um, but he doesn't appear to be someone that really stands out, kind of like an average Joe. Just kind of blends so, in. Um, he was able to run the business um, successfully and, you know, he had lots of friends in high places in the in the city and was well respected so okay so today we're going to be talking about the butcher baker of alaska so we come back and see what the story reveals and we're back so today we're talking about robert hansen and the butcher baker of alaska and how he liked to fly a small plane to his small cabin in the woods a lot of small things going here and near the nick river and he would often um let his prey go only to hunt them down because remember we talked about him being an avid hunter and then bury them in shallow graves his choice of game women so let's get started 
at the beginning of his childhood. Um, you know, our childhood sometimes can shape how we develop and grow. You have environmental um, influences on your life and parents and just where you grow up. And not everyone has a bad childhood that, um, you know, they might have a great one. But if you have a bad one, you can overcome it. And not everyone who had a tough childhood always turns out to be um, people of crime. As a, or Robert Hansen. <laughs> yes, or Robert Hansen. Um so they can overcome their circumstances and do amazing and great things. Um, it does play a role, though, how our childhood is into our adult life. And then Robert was born in Esterville, Iowa in 1939. As we mentioned earlier, his father was a Danish immigrant and a baker. <laughs> Not much is known about Robert in the early days. Uh, he developed a stutter and was extremely shy he had a difficult relationship with his father. I wonder if maybe that relationship is what kind of hurt him as far as developing a stutter. Well, I had also heard that um, he was left-handed, but they forced him to use his right hand. And what we know now with left, right brain, that probably had caused a lot of stuff yeah. going on as far as how he compartmentalized things, how he, That's true. he functioned as an adult. And a lot, it yeah. probably developed this, this stutter and being nervous of being forced to use a hand that you weren't naturally right. accustomed to. Because back then, a lot of times when children, they thought it, you know, that it wasn't, it was odd that something was wrong if they used their left like hand. Like I use my and right so they, hand, you need to use your right hand. Yeah. This is how you do it. Because majority of people are right-handed, um, but since then we found out left-handed is is an amazing gift, and a lot of kids, you were just talking about the brain, can do great things. Um, being able to utilize that other hand. So, um, and then the stutter uh, with his dad, you never know if that was related or if his dad, because sometimes kids, when they get nervous, they stutter. So you just, you don't know. Um, he also suffered from severe acne that left many scars on his face. So that, you know, a stutter and acne with scars, that had to be a tough. Being shy, not being talkative, mm -hmm. kind of seen as a weird kid. He did try to get attention from the attractive girls in school, uh, but he was always rejected and made fun of, which why do people always try to get the attention of the attractive girls? And there's plenty of girls that are just <laughs> really pretty and they are sweet and kind. You don't always have to go towards the, you know, the knockouts, as you would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe he, he could have found him a sweet little thing that was nice and loving and kind. And but anyway, not that. The tritive girls aren't. But hey, I'm digressing. <laughs> this is when he started <laughs> this is when he started practicing archery and hunting. He found peace in the hobby and found he was quite good at that. So that I mean, at least he figured out he needed to find something else to do, but it still doesn't sound like it was very good. Well, <laughs> it didn't turn into being a good Well, thing. he could do that hobby by himself. You know, he was a loner and then, you know, it was fun. So that it, he was good at it and and you would want as a, used it to his advantage. Yeah. And you'd want as a parent for your child to find something they enjoyed um, if you thought they were having a hard time in school. So really don't know much about his mom, do we? Mm, I don't. So in 1957, he enrolled in the United States Army Reserve. He was discharged, though, after one year. He even worked as a drill assistant for a police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa. Here he meets a woman, and they were married in the summer of 1960. And I could not find out any more information about what her name was and what she did and okay. anything before so, you ask. 
See, I'm really bad about asking questions, and Melissa does a lot of the research for all of the research for us, and she does a great job, and I'm thankful, but I tend to ask questions, because I had another question pop up about, do we know why he was discharged after just one year? Nope. Nope. Okay. We don't know that either. So Robert Hansen has a lot of mysteries about him, but we but do that added to his hunting and his, you know, gave him sort of a military background. That's true. He had more knowledge of guns. And um, so now he's married. Uh, and then every serial killer has to start somewhere. So we just gave you the bit of news that he's a serial killer. Uh, more often than not, they don't just come out of the gate crazy. There are some exceptions, though. Yeah. Some of them are just, just just that way, but... Yeah, true. In fact, according to the New York Times, he was often jailed and in custody, but then released on multiple occasions. That sounds familiar. Wasn't this mm -hmm. back in the 60s? Because that sure is happening a lot now. I'm <laughs> having <laughs> to get our time straight. So, it, some of his crimes happened during a time he should have been locked up, but because he was released early, those women lost their lives. Uh, he was incarcerated. If he had been incarcerated like he should have been, um, they would still be here today. And, you know, he probably, because of his quietness and shyness, got released a lot of times on good behavior, I would expect. That, maybe. I think some connections he had within the, the police department and, and stuff like that later on yeah, um, caused his sentencing not to be so harsh on some things. December 7th of 1960, when Robert was 21, he was arrested for arson after setting fire to a county school bus garage as revenge for how he was treated in high school. Wow. Because at this point, he's 21. School yeah. is over. You've done moved Ooh, on. Like, yeah. Why do you need to come back and like burn down a school garage? He has, um, he has a hard uh, time letting those things go, it sounds like. <laughs> well, guess this. He only served 20 months of a three-year sentence. During that time, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and periodic schizophrenia. Interesting. After spending several times um, <laughs> for petty crimes over the next few years, he made the move to Alaska in 1967. And then he had a second wife and two children. Here, he operated a bakery and became a well-respected and liked member of his community. He earned several hunting awards. So I guess when he moved up to Alaska, he really got into hunting. And a lot of big game out yeah. there. Yeah. So then in December of 1971, he got arrested twice. This is a big one, I would think. Yeah. That should put you away for a long this time. This is like red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> so this arrest was for the abduction of and rape of a housewife. And again, for raping a sex worker. He uh, pleaded no contest to assault with a deadly weapon in the incident with the housewife. Um, the rape charge with the sex worker was dropped as part of the plea bargain. So I guess that wasn't as big of a thing, which obviously uh, abduction and rape, but still he was only sentenced to five years. Um, can you guess how long he stayed behind bars? Probably not long. After serving six months, he was put on a work release program and moved into a halfway house. Lovely. So less than one year. Here you go. Go out. Yeah. Good job. Find some more we make you people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And that was two rapes. That is so sad. Um, wow. So, anyway, over the next... I was having to get my thoughts together about the rapes because it just... 
frustrates you to think you can do that to people, to human beings, and not have to spend any time in, in prison. Over the next several years, there were there was something happening in Anchorage. So during that time was the pipeline construction. and was bringing several people in from all over looking for work. Uh, many young women became exotic dancers and sex workers to make money. This type of work often attracted runaways, um, people that were dealing with substance abuse and needed funds to support to support themselves <laughs> and their habit. It wasn't long before Robert discovered that there were plenty of high-risk victims that, unfortunately, the community and their families cared little about um, finding them if they were to disappear. So it is unsure when he started actually killing, but it is believed to be around 1972. Bodies eventually started being discovered around 1982. So that was a long time, 10 years to do what he does. Um, It was becoming apparent that there was a serial killer on the loose, preying on the seeding underbelly of Anchorage, Alaska. So basically the pipeline does bring a lot of people. I've known people from our area that when there's something like that, they go out there and yeah, a lot of people travel because it's money but that also brings out, um, like we stated before, about the, the young girls and the people trying to get money from the people who are making money off of the pipeline. So it just kind of breeds bad things. Um, so anyway. And most of these people were transient and that if right. they happened to go missing, it was thought they just left the area and moved on somewhere else. And they yeah. weren't really missing, missing. They just weren't accounted for. And of course, we didn't have the internet and all oh, of the, yeah. you know, your, t- your news doesn't travel fast. So even if it was someone from another state that went out there and their family just couldn't find out about them or something, I mean, they just went missing because they didn't come back. You didn't have phones, cell phones. Uh, September 12th, 1982, two off-duty police officers were out by the Nick River Gorge hunting. One of them spotted uh, what looked like the, a boot sticking out of the sand. So they investigated, and when they got closer to it, they could tell it was actually a part of a decomposed bone joint. It was clear they had a body on their hands. After backing away, they wanted to preserve the crime scene, and they called it in to be processed. After the body was removed, one officer in particular spent hours sifting the sand around where the body was found. He was evidently very meticulous and um, just wanted to really find everything that he could that might seem excessive that he spent hours sifting through it but uh the hard work was fruitful on the screen of the sifter was a shell casing from a two um 23 caliber bullet yes which is common (laughs) in high power rifles after the autopsy it um took a little while for the identity of the woman to be known she was later identified as 24 year old sherry morrow a dancer from the Wild Cherry Bar in Anchorage. She had told some friends that she was going to meet a man who offered her $300 to pose for some pictures. So little did she know. Which is often a ruse that other um, serial killers have used in the past. About the pictures. Because everybody wants to be a model, right? So um, two more bodies were uncovered, and there was suspicion that they were looking at a serial killer. Eventually, uh, they ran out of leads and the trail goes cold. Until June the 13th, 1983, a truck driver was starting his route on 6th Avenue when he was flagged down by a young woman screaming. 
She's waving her arms frantically, screaming for help. Um, she's 17 years old, and her name is Cindy Paulson. She's half naked, barefoot, and still has handcuffs attached to her wrist. So the truck driver lets her into the cab of his truck um, because he can really tell that she's being chased by someone. Once inside, he's determined that he's going to take her to the police station. But she insists that he drops her off at the Big Timber Motel instead. Her boyfriend is there waiting for her. He takes her to the motel and, and drops her off. But then the truck driver heads straight for the police to tell them what he just witnessed. It was obvious she had just escaped some horrible fate and needed help. Okay. So. Yeah, put the brakes on. Yeah. Straight to the police station. Straight to the police station. Truck driver brakes. <laughs> um, do not pass motel. Keep going straight. So, yeah, truck driver. Really? You're going to find a girl on the road, half naked, screaming, and she gets in the cab with handcuffs on, and you can tell she was being chased, and you're going to take her to a hotel where her boyfriend. <laughs> in quotations. Yes is at um so yeah why didn't he just take her to the jail melissa uh, yeah well, he just well not she didn't not to go to jail, jail. <laughs> the police station to report the crime Whew, no victim sorry changing. sorry um she didn't need to go to jail i mean we <laughs> her boyfriend we might never, have needed to but she did <laughs> we never know how we're gonna react in the split second of a, a situation you don't but, but Are I you think, sure? well, I do. I would go to the police station, but yes. I'm trying to the truck driver. We're yeah. thankful that he put her in the cab right. and that he took her away from the situation and got her somewhere. And then he did the right thing by going to the police station to report. That's right. right. And well, we really can't say anything because like you said, we weren't there. She could have been just crazy, going crazy and just really won't. I mean, you don't know what's yeah. going on in someone else's life, especially if they're in handcuffs, half naked, barefoot, screaming yeah. for their life. So we don't know what happened in the cab, but we are glad that she lived. So after um, police arrive at the Big Timber Motel to room 110, they find Cindy still in hysterics and wearing handcuffs. Um, they manage to get the handcuffs off of her and she begins to calm down and explains her story. Cindy was waiting on a street corner for a date. She was approached by a vehicle and began to talk to the driver. They agreed on a set price for her services, and she got into the vehicle. She gave a description of the driver as shy, unassuming. Remind you of anything we talked about earlier. <laughs> His face was scarred from acne, and he had a speech impediment. He seemed friendly at first, but handcuffed her almost immediately and then pulled a gun on her. Uh, he drove to his house in Muldoon. There, he changed her up to a pole in the basement. How is his wife? The, they were okay. His wife, they were out of town? his wife, and two children were on a vacation in Europe okay. at the time. That was their, his alibi. They were not okay. There. Don't know if that's one hundred percent true, but they they wow. were gone. They were not at the house. All right, vacation in Europe. For the next five hours, he continues to rape and torture Cindy. Um, then he would take a nap on the couch beside her. Creepy. Looking around the room, she could see different animal skins and guns, along with several of his hunting awards, which had his name engraved on the plaques. Wow, he's not too smart. Mm -mm. She started cataloging everything in her surroundings, down to candy wrappers that were in the car. She on was the really bored. Yeah, that's really smart. I mean, she could have, man. That's really cool that she remembered all that. And and that's what we should all be that um 
able to observe, observe. Him. yeah <laughs> observe when he gets up he tells her that he's going to let her go if she does everything she is told he wanted to take a trip and show her his cabin in the woods. Oh, how sweet. I've had you locked <laughs> in my basement, but I want to show you my cabin in the woods. It's going to be nice. Oh, Let's go. Let's go. It's a nice cabin in the woods. It's a small cabin that will take my small plane to get to. <laughs> so it's really cool. She's got to be thinking, wow. Woo, he's crazy. It's only accessible by plane. So yeah. there again, they, they were going to the local airfield. Robert told her that as long as she cooperated, she would live. When they arrived at the airfield, she saw an opportunity and seized it. She knew that if she got on the plane, that she was not going to make it out alive. She kicked off, I guess, the idea of going to see the, the cabin in the woods. Well, was, never, yes. never go to a second location with somebody. Never. Never. And especially if it's a cabin in the woods. Yeah. So she kicked off her shoes and left them as proof that she was in his vehicle. That was really smart. While he was busy loading something into the cockpit of the plane, she lunged out of the driver's side door and made a run for the highway. Robert was right behind her and gave chase. And he probably had his shoes on. He only retreated to his car and sped off when he realized she had caught the attention of the trucker. You know, too, if you're in somebody's car like that, put something under the seat. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know, you could put your shoe under there, but put something there was another under one. so he Someone doesn't think about it. took their gym membership card and shoved it under a box so that when they look through, I've never met her before. Well, why is her gym membership yeah, card in her house? That's always cool idea. I mean, it's good to get ideas because we don't know. We just don't know when things can happen, so we've got to be aware. Um, all right, so caught the attention of the trucker. After giving a full statement at the police station, officers drove her to the airfield thinking she could identify the suspect's plane. She points out a blue and white small plane. After checking the tag number with the flight tower, it was revealed that the plane was registered to Robert C. Hansen. Cindy was then dropped off at the hospital. Now, that we treat victims a whole lot better now than yes. obviously they did back then because why would they force her to... Back to the scene of the crime where she was almost kidnapped and thrown in a yes. plane. Take her. That seems just like it would yeah. cause more trauma. I, yeah. And then, and then, <laughs> and and then, then take her to the hospital. Off, the hospital should have been first. Yes. And then the statement should have been after. But And hopefully they stayed with her or somebody stayed with her in the hospital. Because, you know, she, the man has, he could come back for her. I mean, you don't know. Two officers went to visit the home of Robert Hansen and explained the accusations. Robert becomes angry and defensive, and of course, he denied having ever met the girl. He thought she was just trying to exploit him for his money. He said um, that he had been with two friends installing a new seat in his plane. The two friends corroborated his story by phone, and that was that. So, despite there being a record of past similar offenses uh, listed to his name, and despite Cindy's um, accurate and insanely accurate details, the, uh, she describes his entire car, his house, and the plane. The investigators chose to believe Robert and, and insisted the case didn't need further looking into. Cindy was called back in for questioning a few days later, but wanting to avoid the entire situation, she skipped town. And she probably skipped town because you know, not only was she vulnerable in her choice of profession and didn't want to get involved with law enforcement because that was illegal at the time and just just didn't want to be involved in it at all yeah and her boyfriend probably encouraged her well that's it's just insane to me how i don't know how 
with his background and if, if they looked him up at all in the database and saw what charges he had previously, could yeah. they just say, oh, yeah, I believe you and your friends. You're free. You were with your friends. You're great. You're good. We know who you are. And she knew his name. He didn't give her. I'm sure he didn't give her his name when she, she came to the airport. She knew the route to the house. Yeah. I mean, all they had to do was say, hey, we need to check out your basement. Because well, they did. They went into the basement and they couldn't find anything that she had described seeing the the 223 caliber gun that was yeah. put in her face. She had described the place where she was chained to the pole and they looked at the pole and like the bolt where she would have had been hooked up to was like missing. So obviously wow, he, he must have hard. run back home and yeah. got rid of that stuff, knowing the cops would have been at his house. Right. And then they were like, oh, well, we don't see anything. You know, you're good. Everything must be fine. She knew his name. You know, that's she knew what candy wrappers he had yes. in the floorboard of his car. Uh, Cindy, <laughs> we're sorry, man. You got let down. Mm. She did. Mm-hmm. All right. We're back. All right. So we're getting things are starting to heat up and. Another body turns up in a shallow grave around the Nick River. It turns out to be Paula Golding. She was just 17 years old and found almost one year exactly after Sherry Morrow. During her autopsy, it was discovered that she was shot with a 223 caliber bullet. Special Agent John Douglas was sent in when they reached out to the FBI for help. Um, it was clear they had a serial, serial killer on their hands. John Douglas is the author of Mine Hunter, and he is well respected within law, the law enforcement community. Whew, I can't um, talk. He's a big deal. You bring him in, it's, it's yeah. a big deal. Uh, so he provided a profile that fit Hanson to a T. He encouraged investigators to poke holes in his alibi, so in Hanson's alibi, as he had suspicions that uh, Hanson's friends were probably lying about his whereabouts on June 13th when Cindy uh, was attacked. So um, the two friends were brought in and questioned. They were told they would face charges if, in fact, they were lying. It turns out Douglas's hunch was right. Eventually, the friends cracked and offered up a ton of information. They also told police about how Robert was committing insurance fraud. So that's how he got his bakery. Oh, okay. The money he got from that. The insurance fraud. Yeah, he hid items in his basement. And then he reported them stolen in a staged burglary and then collected okay. the insurance money, okay. which is about like 13000 or something. And that's when he bought his bakery and started running wow. his bakery with the insurance. Funds. Wow. I mean, he was set after his goals. He wanted a bakery. I guess that brought in a lot of money for him so that he could fly his plane and do his, um, de- his, yeah, his dirty deeds. The officers went to a judge within a with a forty page forty eight page affidavit, and they requested a search warrant for Robert Hansen's property and possessions. So on October the twenty seventh, nineteen eighty three, officers followed Hansen to work. They approached him and asked him to come down to the station for some questions. He didn't even bother to ask why, but he cooperated with the police. Definitely different than the first time when they came to his house. Yeah, I guess he. Well, the bodies had started turning up. Yeah. I'm sure he had seen that in like the, the news and the paper. So while he was at the station, two separate groups set out to search his house and plane. There were several weapons and guns that you would expect an avid hunter to have, but nothing that directly related to any of the murders they were searching for. They were about to give up when in the attic next to the rafters was a hidden space. 
There they found a Remington 552 rifle, a seven millimeter single shot pistol, and pieces of women's jewelry, newspaper clippings, a Winchester 12 gauge shotgun, driver's licenses, which some belonging to dead women. So he kept those, it sounds like, as trophies along with the other things. Mm -hmm. um, they also found an aviation map that had several areas marked with an X. These would be locations of shallow graves he made along the Nick River Valley. Lastly, the... Um, oh, no, they, sorry. You're good. <laughs> the Most Nick River Valley. They... <laughs> Uh, and lastly, they found the two twenty three caliber rifle that would prove to be the murder weapon they were searching for. He was arrested on charges that included insurance fraud, but not murder yet. Um, I guess they wanted to wait for test okay. results on the ballistics to make sure that that was the two twenty three that gotcha. had killed the victims. And at least they could keep him for insurance fraud, and he wouldn't try to run. Yeah, or he wasn't like going. That. Anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, they were waiting for those tests and knowing that he could not win in court. Once evidence started to pile up against him, he decided to try and make a deal with the DA. So in exchange for a full confession, he was promised that he would only be charged for the four murders that they knew about. And he would get to spend his time in a federal facility and federal facilities are nice compared a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I think they're all nice these days, but anyway, <laughs> Right, that's still your retirement plan right yeah i mean you can come out looking good having an education <laughs> hot three hots and a cot so um then he led officers to some of the bodies that were marked on his aviation map he recounted how he would sometimes let the victims go if he was confident he wouldn't get turned in which is kind of tricky if you're going to let them go i mean you've really got to have some power over them his killing spree started in the early 70s during his confessions, he explained how a typical abduction would play out. So he'd find someone that fit his victim profile. Using a handgun, he would scare them into submission, and then he would drive them to his home and assault them. He would then fly them to the remote location by the Nick River. Often, they would be nude and blindfolded. He would uh, tell them to run and give them a head start. Oh, cruel. I just, mm, boiling my blood. After a short time, he would proceed to hunt them down with a high-powered rifle and knife. He likened the experience to hunting doll sheep or grizzly bears. Two of his victims had bullet holes in their backs, but not on their clothes. So he had to redress them before burying them in their shallow graves. There are over 12 hours of audio where he confesses to 17 murders and taking at least 40 women hostage. He let most of them go, believing they were attracted to him because they listened so well. <laughs> the only ones Out he killed. For their life. <laughs> yeah, I would be the one that he killed. You, because you, we would both yeah, be dead. <laughs> I would not listen well. So, I don't um, take orders. Sorry. The only ones he killed were the ones who deviated from his demands, which would be me and Melissa. I wouldn't last long. No, me either. Um, Hanson was given a map of the area and he circled at least 17 spots. 12 of which were unknown to officers at the time. Deciding it would be nearly impossible to find these without Hanson's help, they flew him out so that he could identify the locations. So, I mean, and he, that's just making him show off his work and replay yeah. all the stuff in his head. He had to be loving that. That was like a, a cool field trip for yeah. him. I mean, he wasn't going anywhere, obviously. And that's just, just they should have left the plane doors open. 
I'm yes, sorry. Did I hit that yeah. seat too hard? <laughs> Did we just have turbulence? <laughs> oh, sorry about that, Robert. Man. So anyway, after a day of flying around and marking sites, he was able to point out all 17 locations. This had to be a dream come true for him to go out and show off, like Melissa said, what he had done, knowing that they couldn't have found the grave sites without his help. I mean, just manipulation, evil, just pure evil because, you know, but they get it in the end. He, eternity, God. Yep. <laughs> so thank you, God, for, I mean, he gives us the justice and that I know I deserve. And um, sometimes it just works out. But in the end, he was sentenced by jury to 461 years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole. He died on August the 21st, 2014, at the age of 75 due to failing health issues. So his it, wife, it, let's well, get back to his, oh, go ahead. Oh, I said, it just trips me out when they sentence people like 461 years plus life. Yeah. No one, you're not going to live over to be 100 and 102 or that's whatever. Right. Yep. But at least they put without the possibility of parole Well, that's there. the key because if you can have the possibility of parole, then you there's. You can be good behavior and yeah. slip through the cracks. And that tortures families because they <sighs> have to continually go and try to fight to keep you in prison. And it just breaks my heart for these families. Um, so, his wife, we didn't mention much about his wife throughout the middle, but Darla was her name, and she was a devout Christian. She actually stood by her husband as he was jailed for some of the lesser crimes. So, you remember early on, the housewife that was abducted and assaulted. Um, so, she, she stood by him thinking that um, she could help him change. She had no idea that this is what he was up to on the side. Uh, his wife had a master's in education, and she often tutored special needs children. She believed her husband could turn um, turn around when he got into trouble. So she would get him to attend church with her and the family for a few weeks, but then he would return to his normal schedule. They actually kept separate incomes, so Darla supported the kids in her house. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he supported his hunting habit. Yeah, Robert supported his hunting habit. And she had a feeling he was up to no good, but she thought he was just addicted to calling up um, the sex workers, not murdering them. <laughs> she intended to stay in Alaska after his arrest, but that was difficult. So her two children were picked on so bad that they all picked up and moved out of the state. She divorced Robert and sold the house and the bakery. Um, that had to be tough. That was had to be tough for her children. Because they still have lives to live. And it didn't and, say how old they were. I have no idea yeah. how, how old they it's were. It's probably good we were. don't have any. Because they were yeah, hopefully and, able to live a life no free of this. no one was able to track them down. Yeah. And that, that's behind them. But so. um, no matter what age your the kids were. I mean, that's just not something that anybody should have to go through. Yes. So, that concludes our podcast today about Robert Hansen. And we appreciate you joining us. Uh, some of the sources for today. There's a um, serial killer documentary on YouTube. And we will link to that. There was a New York Times article, as always, Wikipedia, Cinemaholic, and our favorite, Murderpedia.org. So we'll put those up there along with pictures of Robert. And um, it's very sad for his victims. Um, yes. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook, Old Time Crime Gals. Also email us, oldtimecrimegals at gmail.com. Um, we appreciate you listening this week. And always remember, do the crime and it's going to catch up with you in time. And we'll talk about it.